Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Longest Night, which is a little show about the HBO series Game of Thrones. My name is Rob. My name's Lizzie. And together we are making our way through all 73 episodes of Game of Thrones. Me for what feels like the hundredth time, and Lizzie for the very first time. You can find us on Twitter at LongestNightGOT, that is at LongestNightGOT, if you want to carry on the discussion with us. And because it's a season one review and it's slightly different um, to our usual episodes, I don't have to do the usual housekeeping stuff at the beginning. So I'm just going to jump straight in and ask Lizzie, how are you doing today? I'm very tired and I'm very much looking forward to Christmas. But yeah, I'm I'm getting by. Okay, not too bad then. Yeah, not, not too, too bad. bad at all. We finished season one. Uh, Ned Stark was executed by Sir Illyn Payne on the orders of King Joffrey. Rob Stark rode off to war and captured Jaime Lannister. Tyrion Lannister was named Hand of the King to Joffrey. Jon Snow and the Night's Watch decided to head out beyond the Wall. And on the far side of the world, Daenerys Targaryen's dragons were born. So, this special episode for you today, our season one review, where Lizzie and I will be going over the first 10 episodes of the show, the first season, just to see what we both made of it this time around. Obviously, this is Lizzie's first impression, uh, and I'm seeing if my impressions or opinions have changed, because it's first time I've seen season one in about three years, and we've got some special little awards and categories to give out as well. And at the end of the episode... We're going to be watching the trailer for season two live on the show, and we're going to get Lizzie's immediate reaction to it, as well as her predictions, hopes and dreams for the upcoming season. Um, So without further ado, let us get on with it. So, I have no episode to introduce this week. (laughs) Uh, I feel a little stuck. Um, But Lizzie, I'm just going to jump straight in. Usually after we watch an episode of Game of Thrones, I jump in and I say, what were your general thoughts about the episode? But because this is a season review, I have to ask your general thoughts about the season as a whole. First season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'd say it was overall really good. Um... I did. I kind of went back and revisited some of those earlier episodes this week, and it's amazing that we've only been without Ned for what two episodes, mm-hmm. and going back to those episodes, it feels so jarring to actually have him there. It feels he, like walking into a dream. That it first does. Episode. It really does. It's like another world entirely, and yeah, and obviously with that first episode, you had. Well, you had Ned, who's dead. You have Robert, who's dead. You have Viserys, who's dead. It's, it's, it's like, in in the space of ten episodes, the scenery has just changed completely. It is amazing, isn't it? I mean, the um, yeah, the general tide, the actual in the actual real world time in Game of Thrones is a little loose. Mm. Um, People tend to think that every season covers about a year. I'm not 100% sure on that. I would... Because it's obviously, like, it's hard to tell when... What kind of calendar they follow. Whether it works like ours and stuff like that. But, um... And obviously because our calendar is mostly dictated by the seasons and by orbit and by things like that. Whereas with Game of Thrones, the orbit's clearly very different because their seasons are very long. 
and not, you know, three, four months at a time like ours. So, but I would say that it's been about nine to ten months, maybe. You have to work it out by sort of, like, character pregnancies and whether somebody says it'll take so far to get, take so long to get so far, and you have to work out how much distance they've travelled, and you can kind of piece it all together, but it's between sort of nine to eleven months have taken place. So... That is, you know, basically roughly a year, and you are totally right. Over the course of the year that this season has depicted, um, this has it, it has cha- things have changed immeasurably. Like I was saying, walking back into that first episode, it's like everybody's there and everybody's happy for about ten <laughs> minutes, but. Obviously, before the season, I guess, you know, you were saying that this was a huge um, sort of like cultural blind spot for you and that you knew it was a big deal, but um, you weren't quite sure what to expect and you had vague ideas, but nothing concrete. Now that you've watched the full season of it, is it anything like you expected it to be? Did you feel like something was missing? Did it have something you didn't expect? Uh, Any bonus kind of stuff? Um, Yeah, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of more political than I expected. I think I did expect more of the, you know, fantasy Dungeons and Dragons type aspect of it, which I'm sure we will get more of, but I certainly didn't expect, you know, a lot of, um, let's say, feudalism and um, infighting and that that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, it's... There's a lot about this season that I definitely didn't expect. And, you know, as I've mentioned before, I would never have expected them to kill what we thought was the main character in the ninth episode of the first season. You think Mm -hmm. if that was any other show, can you imagine that with like, I don't know, Tony Soprano? (laughs) It's like you, you you can't envision it with another lead character of that stature. But it's just it speaks to the the strength of the side cast that they can pick it up and run with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that, I think I've maybe mentioned this on a couple of episodes that we've done, but um, I like the idea of Ned Stark, maybe like George R. R. Martin's kind of coming up with this story and most, maybe most fantasy stories would make Rob the protagonist and just kind of jump straight in from there. But what George R. R. Martin maybe decided to do was go back a generation and invent a whole new character just, for the purpose of getting to the point where Rob becomes the main character. And I I, I just wonder whether it's a, a very elaborate trick that he played in his mind and that, you know, we all... And then HBO were very, very clever with all the marketing that they did because they knew what was going to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they knew, obviously, like, you know, they were planning all this out and it's like, so, okay, yep, yeah, let's put Sean Bean, he's our big star, let's get him on all the posters, give him the most money... And then everyone will think that he's the main guy and then whoop, and he's gone. Yeah. But to be honest, they weren't 100% sure about it. I have been abridging uh, quotes every now and again. There's a great book I've been reading recently that Lizzie, I would advise you don't read until we finish the show. Um, it's called Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon by James Hibbard, who was Entertainment Weekly's correspondent for Game of Thrones throughout its entire run. And he has collected quotes from all sorts of people um, about the show. And one of the HBO executives at the time, when they accepted the pitch, said, so wait, hang on a minute. We're killing the main character and then there's dragons. And, <laughs> um, and obviously, like, HBO was known for 
well, you know, the, the Sopranos and, you know, for all sorts of, like, you know, for changing television and making it a very serious drama. And I think they were sort of yeah, worried yeah. that fantasy wouldn't, you know, people wouldn't take to fantasy and it wouldn't become a a cultural hit like it has done, where it's basically just a massive cash cow for them. Um, but it's a hell of a risk that they took. And, yeah, very, very, very happy that they took that risk because without that risk, we wouldn't be doing this show. Yeah, for sure. It's it's one of those kind of unusual fusions of ideas, but it does it does work. It's it is a political thriller set in a fantasy universe. It wouldn't work the other way around, I don't think. Mm. If you had, I, I don't think I can imagine a a fantasy set in a political universe. <laughs> like I don't know, <laughs> the the thick of it with magic or something. But <laughs> yeah, um, with regards to the sort of killing off of. Ned, it's it's also it's kind of like a false start. So, the first nine episodes are a bit of a, a sort of prelogue, and everything following on from that is the main series. Yeah, I like that reading. Yeah. Well, one thing I was going to ask, and I'll be a little bit more specific. Uh, there's two questions actually. Is there an element of it that you were expecting more of that maybe you feel like you didn't get enough of? Were you expecting? more of something and that you feel like maybe you wanted it and you maybe didn't quite get it from the show well i was definitely expecting more in the way of like battles i know we got those towards the latter half of the season but i i do wonder because you've mentioned budget constraints the first you know the first couple of episodes and i wonder if that Mm. played into it and that they were sort of aiming small to begin with and that as we go on you know, from what I know, the the budget for the show kind of ballooned and it's something that you can afford to take more risks with. Yes. Um, I think it's, you know, it's strange. I mean, it's not really spoilery to say that there will be uh, battles depicted on screen in future seasons. Um, mm. It's kind of strange coming back to um, this point in the show because it's a very different era. I always like to put Game of Thrones into two distinct periods which is seasons one to four and then seasons five to eight and seasons five to eight go for a very very different style and a totally different kind of thing to the first four seasons whereas with this one in especially in the first season they have to find a way to write around the battles and they have to find little tricks to Mm. skip over them so they don't have to show them and they can just kind of explain that they've happened but not you know stick with them because they don't have the budget to show it whereas like with the later seasons it's basically everything is set up to get to the battle and it's like we have to you know put all the building blocks in place and this is the focus of the season and it's amazing going back um it actually makes me laugh actually seeing how they come up with all these new ways just to not show people fighting because they don't have the money to have thousands of people in a field and uh, (laughs) (laughs) but um the other question that i was going to ask was is there anything that you may be other than the politics side of it Hmm. which you know from the sounds of things and maybe ned stark dying is there anything else that maybe you didn't expect to get from this show that maybe you were maybe when you were going in you were a bit hesitant because you thought oh there might be a bit of this in it and that's not really my deal and you know maybe if the you know is were there any kind of unexpected and nice surprises in terms of things that you got 
Well, I think just um, as I mentioned before, the strength of the characters, I did, I really didn't expect. I thought it would just be focused in on sort of three or four main characters, and they'd have all the, you know, all the lines and all the every everything sort of built around them in a sense. When it's not really so much about them, if you think about it, it it's more about yeah. how how their actions affects everything beneath them. Okay, so we're going to move on to our first award, and it's not an award that you would like to win, but it's an award that we will enjoy giving out. So, um, I'm going to have to ask you, Lizzie, for your loser of the seasons, your least favourite character, the person who, when they turned up on screen or whenever they did anything, you were just kind of gripping onto your seat and having to bite your tongue a little bit. Yeah, there's a couple of absolute fuckers in this season, but I think it's, you know, with honourable mentions to Jamie and Viserys, it's going to be Joffrey. Okay, um, I think everybody listening to this would have agreed with your uh, nomination there, and not just your nomination, but your winner. Um, so, yeah, why do you hate Joffrey so much? Let me count the ways. It's like, <laughs> where, where do you want me to start? It's... He plays... The, um, I'm not sure what the actor's name is. Uh, Jack Gleason. Okay. So he plays that role of an absolute, just hateful, horrible little shit so well. I don't I don't think I can really come up with a comparable character in any other show of that kind. Not Certainly not someone so young. So what, he's, he's 13 the, in this show's universe? The only person I can think of that is even in any way comparable, but only slightly, is Randall from Recess. Yeah, yeah, I can but, see that. But that's about it, really. It's just, I think he has such unique, for a villain, I mean, it's he's not, he isn't one note, but he's not complex either. Yeah, he's um, he's Bart's equivalent from Shelbyville. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I just I kind of love the way that they've not tried to give him problems or anything like that. It is kind of clear in the characterization of Cersei, you know, his his mother, mm. that you can maybe see where Joffrey comes from in Cersei, but you can clearly see that Cersei's got more of a human heart. And yeah, yeah. of the other children of hers that we've met so far, like Tom and, and Marcella, we've only met them very briefly, but they're just like sweet little kids. They're quite young. Um, you know, they, they've not really been seen doing much. Whereas Joffrey just has this... He, he, he's not pure evil, but he do, it is like he has the evil gene of well, the yeah. family. And it feels like all of... The worst traits. I mean, Cersei has planned a murder this season. We we shouldn't forget that, really. But well, she's planned a murder and also admitting to sleeping with her brother and also possibly her cousin. Mm. Exactly. You know. But then on the other side of it, she did have that nice scene at the beginning with um, Catelyn Stark, where she sort of said, you know, mother to mother, I'm understanding the kind of um, trouble that you're going through right now, and you know, I've lost babies myself. And mm. so there's that side of her, at least. Whereas with Joffrey, it's like the only other side to him is that all of this bravado and braggadocio and arrogance and sadism that fronts up his public appearances behind it all is this weak child who's quite 
as I've described him before, quite snivelly and quite wimpy and quite weak. Yeah. Um, but it just makes him more irritating because he's so very he's so very brilliant at kind of being so awful to people in one moment and then in the next minute when Nymeria's standing over him and I is standing over him and he's going, No, please <laughs> don't hurt yeah. me and so yeah, um, I don't think anybody out there is going to be disagreeing with your pick um, for loser of the season at yeah, he's, all. he's like an evil Prince Charles. It's the best comparison <laughs> I can make to real life. Also, I messaged you this week because it's kind of disturbing that he really does sound like Theresa May. If you close your eyes and you hear that voice coming out, you think, yeah, you're going you're gonna to tell us all about Brexit. That's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Was it was it Theresa May's oven ready deal, or was that just one of this uh, current setup, this current oh, crop? God. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Red, red, white, and blue, whatever it was. <laughs> Who knows? Who cares? Um. So on to better times. Um. So the winner of the week. Um. There was a clear winner in terms of the most nominations for winner of the week, and that was um Tyrion Lannister. But I was wondering if maybe throughout the season you've had somebody who may not have been the clear winner each week but may have finished second every week and may have you know via the av system um mm. may have come out as a winner but I ha- you know, so i'm asking who is your winner of the season who's, who's been your favorite character so far well as much as i've loved Tyrion in this show in the show in this season he's not been at the forefront when it comes to things like character development as much as he's formed this affair with Shay kind of later in the season and it's kind of brought out more of his affectionate side, if you will, I don't think I would put him up there with my actual winner of this category, who is Arya. Ah, Yeah. <laughs> oh, Arya's yeah. my favourite. We've, we've talked about it a lot in this season. We've gone through it over and over again that... She's, um, like, from the beginning, she's been completely sort of underestimated and she's been taken out of her her native village. She's had everything taken away from her in this season. And obviously, as we know, at the end of the season, she's, well, pretty much carted off to the wall. So the fact is we don't know what's going to happen to her just yet. But I think of... Everybody in this show, uh, you know, I've gone, I've gone over this in my head over and over again. I can't think of anybody that comes close in terms of just how much they've developed from that first episode. Okay, um, so how do you just in terms of when you say her development, where do you mm. think she started and where do you think she is now? Well, she kind of started as um, I'm trying to think back to that that first scene we saw her in. It was. Wasn't it something like Bran was doing archery and... Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Sansa and Arya were instructed to do sewing and then Arya hears arrows flying outside and then um, and uh, Bran is, is sort of pulling his bow arm back and then zoom, and you think, oh, he's done it. And then it cuts back and it's Arya and she bows and Bran's like, Ugh, and then yeah. Bran runs after her. Um, God, that shows how long ago that was as well. Brands running. Oh um, God, it, it feels so, like years ago, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose um, it was years ago. No climbing. Um, yeah. But 
Yeah, Aya is a huge favourite of mine at this stage too. Um, I think, yeah, and especially in the very, very early season, um, like, you know, first season especially, everybody's favourites are kind of like Tyrion and Aya. Like, everybody loves those two to bits. Hmm. Um, and most, like you say, I think you're basically picking who everybody else would pick for with regards to Joffrey, Viserys, uh, Jamie. Um, they immediately go into people's bad books because of how people they uh, how how they behave and how they are with people. Um, I think it's always you know the most arrogant characters in this first season always kind of catch people and really rub them up the wrong way. Um, so yeah, not a huge surprise uh, for loser of the season at all. But for winner of the season, though I'm not surprised, um, I am very pleased that it's Aya because Aya was my personal favourite mm. at this stage of the show too. Um, so you're on a similar trajectory to how I was uh, when I first sat down and enjoyed this show. Um, so we've done loser of the season, we've done winner of the season. I am now going to ask for your, and um, we can work up to this. I imagine you'll have thought about maybe five or six uh, possible winners for this, and then you're probably going to have to work out why you talk about it. So I want to ask for your favourite moment of the season, favourite moment. It actually wasn't that hard to pick my number one choice. I think okay. everything else is kind of, there's a, there's a lot of low-down choices, but for me there's, there's nothing that matches... The end of Baylor. Mm-hmm. The beheading of Ned Stark. There's nothing else in this season that even comes close in terms of... Well, it, it was the first time I messaged you straight after the episode. It was like, oh, wow, holy shit, they actually killed him. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a huge moment. And mm. um, as much as, you know, with hindsight and reflection and when you know the Ned Stark moment is coming, I feel like there are other moments that I find to be incredibly satisfying and you know incredible to kind of think about and maybe nominate instead like you know like uh, you know obviously ned stark's death is like the obvious candidate but i sometimes run through my mind and i think that is it when bran is pushed out the window because that starts everything off Mm. and is it viserys being killed because he's like the first major major character with a name to kind of you know snuff it yeah, it's true, um, actually. And Ned Stark's arrest in the throne room and Daenerys um, with the dragons at the end of the season. Um, but I think in terms of its importance for the narrative of the, show, uh, narrative of the show going forward and the nature of TV, really, and the way that pop culture has changed because of Game of Thrones and the way that Game of Thrones was able to change pop culture because of this moment. I think that, yeah, Ned's beheading is probably the big one to pick. Mm. Um, and so I don't think anyone listening would question you. That sounds like just the kind of right pick for, especially for a first time watcher as well. I think, you know, when you're not watching things with hindsight and maybe looking out for little moments that you realise things change for certain characters at this point on the story and, oh, here's how everything goes for them afterwards. When you're not thinking in those terms, when you're thinking entirely with the whole, the whole show in front of you rather than behind you, um, mm. Ned Stark's death is a huge point on the map where all of a sudden it can go in any direction and 
the amount of things it must make you feel and the I mean yeah the, the feelings that it gave you um, inspired you to message me immediately afterwards I mean we kind of had a bit of a it wasn't strict but we did keep well for the first eight episodes we did keep well to this rule where we kind of had little discussions before the podcast but we always tried to keep our views fresh um, and we always tried to wait until the show so that we had lots of organic stuff to talk about and the conversation to flow a little better. But as you said, after Ned Stark was killed, that was the first time that you messaged me and just went, like, throwing the rules out the window. I'm just going to come straight to you and just say, <laughs> this was amazing. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I'm sure you'd be more surprised if I just turned off. We didn't have that conversation. I'd just go, yeah, it was, it was all right, I guess. Oh, there was, a, there was a small matter of the main character dying at the end of the episode, but I think yeah, we've kind of matter. we've kind of discussed like bigger moments in the show, but I feel like we kind of need to recognise the more subtle moments as well that might not immediately spring to mind, like the um, the chat between Robert and Cersei. Oh yes, yeah, in the Wolf and the Lion, yes. Um, what else does the um? The pale spider's biggest hound scene. <laughs> Just all these kind of little scenes that, as much as you don't really consider them as being like oh, game-changing moments, they are, you know, they're integral to the core of the show. It would feel a bit empty without them. No, I totally agree. Um, I think they weren't, you know, I think quite a lot of the, it's funny really that some of the best scenes from the first season weren't even supposed to be in it. Um, they had to be written in at a later date because yeah, no, they realised yeah. the episodes were coming up short. Um, and so they add in all these character scenes and they feel a little bit like, um, they're not quite fan service because I'm not sure how you can quite serve fans at this, such an early stage. Fan service is for the end when mm. you've had, you know, time for wishes to build up. But the way that they're writing them, it's as if, you know, they're obviously huge fans of the books and they really want to adapt them and turn them into something. And so they've written these scenes as if they are fans of the books and they think, what would I like to see? Yeah, yeah. And by extension, what would the fans like to see? Did we ever see a conversation between Robert and... Cersei in, in the books and they think well not kind of but only from other people's perspective what are they like behind closed doors and so you get this amazing amazing scene and then you get um, really good mental gymnastics by Robert Baratheon in that scene where he says what's the bigger number five or one and his yeah. very and his very compelling argument convinces you that one is the bigger number um, and it, if only symbolically but still um and so, yeah, no, I, I think you're totally right to bring those up as well, because especially, like I say, in the early days when they have to prioritise these kinds of scenes over stuff that maybe takes up a bit more of the budget, shall we say, hmm. um, they really have to rely on these, especially to build the world and to flesh it out and to introduce us to these characters. And I think it makes them richer and it makes them more complicated and... Because I think it would be... I mean, obviously, you're sort of supposed to like Robert Baratheon, and you know, but at the same time, there are elements of his personality where he's just kind of pitiable. And I think that's one of them where he's basically because of the rules of the court and because of what it's like to head a royal family, he is in love with a ghost that he can no longer get in touch with. And... Yep. 
the marriage that he's had that's apparently holding the kingdoms together is a sham and they both know it's a sham but they keep it going anyway because that's what they're supposed to do and there's a lot of sadness and a lot of as you I think quite perfectly described actually you described that episode as the ballad of Robert Baratheon mm. um, and to be honest you were very quick to spot whose time was up even if he didn't know they were necessarily going to die um, and I think you were quite clearly um, on the path that Robert Baratheon was kind of on borrowed time with the way that he was alienating people around him the way that his marriage was unhappy that the kingdoms are on the brink of fracturing um, and yeah, so was, you yeah. identified a lot of that well, yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it would have taken a genius to spot that because obviously in the, the span of those episodes, he's, you know, he's he's drinking, he's puffy, he's, you know, trying, like stabbing his friends in the back. And, oh, God, it's, it's, it's miserable. It's, you never, you've never seen a king kind of depicted like this as just kind of miserable and not not interested in what he does anymore he's a king pretty much in name only it's interesting that you should say this because um in the game of thrones fan community robert baratheon is a huge fan favorite um and not in the sense that people necessarily idolize him or see him as a hero but a lot of his lines are recycled as memes and they are used to um, add humour to certain situations and it, it is funny oh but yeah yeah totally I do, feel, I do feel like it does miss the point that you're raising which is that yeah it's funny but the other side of it is that it all comes because the nature of who he is and his style of humour and that kind of thing it all comes from the copious drinking and it basically trying to fill a hole in his life that can never be filled yeah, um, yeah, and I, yeah, I always just find it sort of sad more yeah, than anything else. It's tears of a clown, isn't it? Yeah, um, totally. Um, I should say as well, watching these episodes through um, with you has changed my opinions on a couple of them. Not by anything major, because I've seen these episodes so many times now that if I had a radical change of opinion about one of them, then something must be off. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are slight changes. Um, I think that for new viewers, there are certain episodes around the middle that I obviously really enjoy now, having seen them several times and having seen the show several times, that I maybe haven't noticed how they can alienate new viewers by maybe overwhelming them with new information. And a lot of the scenes are better in hindsight than they are straight away. Um, it's nice to watch certain moments in, in the middle episode of the season, maybe like um, episodes five to seven uh, or even five to eight really, where as someone who has seen the whole show and can sort of pinpoint moments and go, ah, that's the first example of this, or that's the first time this happened, or ah, this is where we meet this person, or whatever, um, then, you know, that's great sport. And any show that can benefit from a rewatch is a strong one. But on the other hand, I have had to temper my undying an almost unconditional love and enthusiasm for certain elements of certain episodes that I've definitely overlooked over the years or maybe just haven't noticed how 
difficult they can be for new viewers to digest. And so this is another advantage of having you on the show, which is that we can get perspectives that maybe those of us who were listening to the show and have seen every episode dozens of times and we've forgotten what it's like to be new in this world and we've forgotten what it's like to not know everything like the back of our hands to get somebody in who offers a completely different perspective on a particular moment or scene um, Mm. has not exactly forced a mass reappraisal on my end or anything like that but um, my favourite episode of the season um, as we'll talk about in a minute has changed oh really? Um, only you know, it's barely by, you know, barely by a percentage. It's always so tight and so narrow. But yeah, my, my favourite episode of the season has has changed. Ooh, um, I'm curious now. So yeah, I, th- I think we'll move into that. So I, I am going to ask you, mm. um, first of all, just a quick one. Um, this wasn't initially going to be a category, but I've just decided to ask you now. Just quickly, we don't have to go into it too much. Um, your least favorite episode of the season? What was that? Oh, um, forgive me, I've forgotten the name, but it was um, oh, it's the one where where um, Ned was going around trying to solve a mystery, and we we've remarked that it was like it was you know murder she wrote with Ned Stark. Yes, uh, that was uh, cripples, bastards, and broken things. That was episode That's four. Yeah, uh, season one, episode four. So, your favourite episode of the season, I don't think I'm going to be surprised by what you say, but go ahead. Yeah, there was a close second with The King's Road, but it is going to be Baylor. Okay. I I don't think I really need to tell you why, do I? No, I feel like we went over it, didn't we? Um, Yeah. Well, not, not just the ending, but obviously everything building up towards it is... Yes, yeah, just a phenomenal hour of TV. It really, really is. Um, mm. And it's one that, unfortunately, I think, as we were saying on our episode about it, that a lot of the wonderful content in that episode can be a little overshadowed by what happens at the end of it. And it's nice to go back to this kind of episode for the first time in three years and think all the stuff that happens around it is excellent. And it's not a shame that Ned Stark's death overshadows it because it's an amazing moment for the series and for TV and it deserves its place as one of the bigger TV twists ever. Mm. Um, But I think that, yeah, watching over it again, I am glad that it's it's not just that moment that seals it as one of the best episodes of the series. I think the whole episode feels like a massive season finale and, yeah, it does. Um, to and have it's, that... it's not even the season finale. <laughs> no, exactly. And to have that come on with the ninth episode um, shows its real strength, I think. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so I'm glad we're in agreement about that. So I've just, before we watch the season two trailer, what I've done uh, just this afternoon, actually, is combined our personal scores for each of the episodes uh listeners quietly over the course of the season in the background without letting you all know i have been asking lizzie to send me uh numerical ratings for each of the episodes out of well it's out of 10 but on a scale of 20 so 1 1.5 2 2.5 etc and i have combined lizzie's scores with my own to come up with a joint 
ranking of episodes from least favorite to our favorite. So we're going to run down. I'm going to run down the order now from least favorite episode to our favorite episode. And I have done them out of 100. So whatever their score was out of 20, I've just timed it by five. So in 10th place, we have Cripples, Bastards and Broken Things, which is season one, episode four. 70 points. Winter is Coming is in ninth place, Season 1, Episode 1, with 75 points. Lord Snow, Season 1, Episode 3, with 80 points, is in 8th place. In 7th place, uh, it's The Pointy End, Season 1, Episode 8, 82.5. The Wolf and the Lion, Season 1, Episode 5, is next up with 87. And in 5th place, it's Season 1, Episode 7, You Win or You Die, with 87.5. Also with 87.5, in fourth place is A Golden Crown, Season 1, Episode 6. In third place, it's kind of joint with second, Season 1, Episode 10, Fire and Blood, which has got 92.5. The King's Road, in second place, Season 1, Episode 2, with 92.5. And then, obviously, taking first place is Baylor with full marks. We both gave it a massive walloping 10. I think so too. Yep. It um, deserves it. I'm so glad to go back to that and just enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> I mean, were our rankings much different in terms of because I know we had scores, obviously, but in terms of was there like um, any particular episode where there was a big gulf in terms of not not really, no. Okay. Um. No, um, there may have been one or two places that were slightly different, but I think, you know, we've kind of matched the consensus about the season, really. Um, although some people have Lord Snow a little bit lower than we do and Cripples, Bastards and Broken Things a little bit higher, but mostly that's the order that most people would say that it's in. Fair um, enough. I would argue. So what we're going to do now is we're going to do a little fun exercise. Lizzie and I are going to load up the trailer for season two on YouTube. If you want to watch along uh, with the trailer or watch it after the episode, then the one that you need to find is The Price for Our Sins season two trailer for Game of Thrones, which I'm just searching for now. It's the one with 281,000 views, which is sort of hysterical because I think the trailer for the final season has got about 60 million. No one can survive in this world without help. They're too weak to fight. You must be their strength. Is you on mine? Sometimes I wonder if this is the price for our sins. You have inherited your father's responsibilities. I just realised that Bran's got longer hair in this trailer. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense, right? He's been bedbound for what seems like years. Uh, we just had a couple of new faces there. Shot of some soldiers running into each really? other. And a Rob battlefield behind Rob there. The Iron Throne is mine. And a new face there that claims the Iron Throne is his. Yes. No with a flaming game. sword. Ooh. We are a free North is free and independent. Theon's burning a letter. Power resides yep. where men believe. Got a new character there, that, that woman who's kissing Renly. Whatever you need to do. Varys being trick. Varys. Yep. You are a king. Another woman there. Shadow on the wall. And a very small man can. Tyrion in battle armor again, I've just noticed. Yeah, he's back at um, 
I kept keep finding there was another new face there that we editing kind of skipped over. This is what ruling is. I understand the way this game is played. Nothing matters. Tyrion punching Joffrey in the face. So Daenerys says that she'll burn somebody first. So that is the trailer for season two. And just sort of based on um, just looking at that, um, yeah. how do you think generally season two is going to go for Daenerys? She was in the desert for, at the beginning. Um, yeah. Well, it seems like they're walking through the desert with a vastly reduced army. Yes. And I wonder if we're possibly going to come into contact with uh, another, let's say, clan that we haven't seen yet. Okay. All right, then. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, a, good, that's a good place to leave that before we get too far into it. Um, we yep. saw a couple of new faces. Someone who was claiming the Iron Throne as theirs. Do you have any theories about who that might be? Well, I think initially I did think it might be another one of Robert's brothers, but I also think it could be one of Robert's bastards. Because okay. I know we've had these mentioned in the first season, and but we haven't really we haven't really seen much of it. So that could be where that's leading. Okay then, and uh, we've got other things as well. And um, we have an actual shot of an actual battle. I know. It's crazy, right? So, um... Who would have thought? I know! Who, who would have thought? Um, maybe the budget allows for it in the second season. We'll, we'll, wait, for, we'll wait for that one. Um, I should say that, um, you know, when we came to watch the first season, I wasn't trying to guide you in any way. I wasn't trying to mani- like manage or measure your expectations at all or anything like that. But I think for season two, it might just be worth mentioning that... Um, Season two is more of a slow burn in terms of incident than okay. season one. It is a lot more of um, what quite a lot of people describe as people talking in rooms. Lots of planning and wondering. Because obviously a huge reset button was pressed really at the end of season one, you know, with Ned Stark going and Khal Drogo going and even Viserys going in episode six and Robert Brathian going in episode seven and... So, you know, there's a lot of fallout to deal with initially, and a lot of people are in totally new places to where they were even three episodes ago. So there's a lot of yeah, true. Um, recovery time afforded to uh, characters who maybe just need that time. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to you watching season two as well. Um, got a lot of different colours this season uh, compared to season one. I love um, separating the seasons of Game of Thrones by colour schemes, but we'll... We'll get to that. Um, well, what colour is season one? <laughs> well, season one, I kind of see it as a kind of... It's mostly... It's kind of like a grey-brown. I associate it with, like, the, the the uniform that Ned wears quite a lot for most of the season. That kind of... Yeah, I can see that. Dusty brown kind of tunic. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Uh, that's the kind of colours I associate with it. Um, whereas with season two... Uh, as I'm sure you have gathered from the trailer, a lot more red. Yeah, much this season. warmer. Lots more red, lots much warmer. Um, and we'll talk about the other colours I associate with the seasons the further we go on. So Indeed. Um, so that officially brings our season one coverage to a close. We'll be back in maybe a week or two. 
Um, for the first episode of season two, which is called The North Remembers. Yeah, so Lizzie, thanks very much for doing this little season one special. No, thank you. And thanks to everyone who's listening, and we'll see you very soon. <laughs>